Good morning. We are looking at Exodus 14 this morning, the whole chapter. Although we'll touch on parts of 13 and 15, so lots to talk about. Um, if you're just joining us or have a short-term memory, we are going through the life of Moses this semester. And we are getting to the good stuff, right? We're getting to the crossing of the Red Sea. As a recap, Exodus follows the book of Genesis. Very good, everyone. And at the very end of Genesis, Joseph, as he's dying, says, take my bones with you when you go up into the land. And what you have is the realization that there is a story going on. And Joseph realizes this prophecy, he didn't, his ancestors didn't come into Egypt to just enjoy life, but he knew there would be an exiting out of Egypt and a future home, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so in 13 and 14, we actually see Moses carrying Joseph's bones into the new land. So we have this story. I want to recap where we are. Moses, in the beginning of Exodus, uh, was being, the, the Pharaoh then was trying to kill him. His mom saves him, right? Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. Uh, later he grows up, tries to help, and, and murders an Egyptian, and then ends up being ousted by both the Egyptians and the Israelites, goes to Midian, decides, I'm done, I'm going to just be a, a sheep herder, gets married, and then God shows up like 40 years later in the, uh, in the, in the burning bush. And we, did a whole, we discussed the entire time God's glory and, and, and revealing himself in the burning bush. Then Moses basically says, I'm not interested. I don't want to do this. And spends a lot of time telling Yahweh why he's not the one who can do this work. Then we saw Moses actually decide he was going to do with Aaron. They go to Pharaoh. They get shut down. Right? Now then, we're almost to where we are currently. So if you haven't been here these weeks, you're getting caught up. Last week we saw the nine plagues. One through nine, or two weeks ago, was it last week? I can't remember. Last, uh, no, two weeks, three weeks ago, the nine plagues. How God in those nine plagues warned Pharaoh, but you didn't see a whole lot of Moses. And then, last week in the Passover, you saw even less of Moses. Right? It was all about God being the one who would be the lamb, but also the one that would cast the judgment. This week, we get a lot of Moses. This week, we see that Moses has completely come around. He's taken up the position God's called him to do, and he's carrying Joseph's bones, which is interesting. So, there you go. Chapter 14, crossing the Red Sea. You're caught up. The first few verses, God is telling Moses where to lead the people. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. And he's having them actually wander around a little bit for two reasons. In chapter 13, he tells us, because if the Israelites see the Philistines, they're going to freak out and go back to Egypt. I'm not ready for war. On the, at the same time, he knows if they wander around a little bit, Pharaoh will think, aha, they're caught, they're trapped, and he'll come in, which is one of his goals. So here we are in verse 5 of chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and officers of over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. <clears throat> the Egyptians pursued them 
all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. In other words, a big old army is coming up out of Egypt, okay? They're scared. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel, they see it. They lift up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they cried, or they feared greatly, and cried out to the Lord. Look at verse 11. This is an amazing way to cry out to the Lord and to Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have, we do- what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. By the way, that's not true. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 19, And the Lord of God, excuse me, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So I'm going to paraphrase again. Moses stretches out his hands. The water is divided. Israel goes through on dry ground. Then Moses goes on the other side, and, and the Egyptians start to follow. Somehow the ground becomes wet. Maybe the pillar moving between had moisture. And they get stuck and they cry out in verse 25, Let us flee from before Israel, for their Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. In verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea. And basically he stretches out his hand over the sea and the waters came crashing down on all the Egyptians. And we're now at verse 30. Thus the Lord said, saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we give you praise, not only for this scripture, but that it's true, that it's preserved for us, that you indeed carried out these exact actions, and that it was all part of the larger story you grafted us into, that I pray this morning we would see and have faith in as we go forward. In your name we pray, amen. The Israelites, this this entire story requires the people to understand the larger picture. And I think if psychologists would tell us If people don't find their lives as part of a story, they become sort of disengaged, fragmented, right? Psychological elements begin to come in. You have to be a part of something. I think we've been hearing that all of our life, right? When you're little, join a team, join a club, 
join something. But those things tend to end, and you have to transfer them forward. But eventually, you have to ask yourself as adults, what is my big story? One of my convictions for my life and all of our lives is that we don't really see our Christianity, our story, as part of the meta story of the Scriptures. That oftentimes, if we're not careful, we'll just find ourselves having our own privatized religion and really not sure how it all fits together with Scripture, with what's going on around us, even with the events of yesterday. Are we reading our life through the grid of Scripture and the story we are involved in? What story are you living out? Right? We've been studying First Peter. And what does he say in, in chapter 1, verse 10? Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through the preaching of the good news of the Holy Spirit. In other words, here's the story. I think sometimes we're looking at these old stories like Exodus and we go, wow, that was cool. Or you could turn back into Genesis and you have Tower of Babel, the Flood, all these great stories. Are you seeing your life as part of the story? That's the question. So, how are we going to unpack this chapter and dig into the story we are all part of? Shane and I were talking, and he helped me with this one. I'll, I'll give him the shout-out. Anne Lamont has written a book on prayer. Here's the title of that book. Three prayers, she basically says, you need to pray help, wow, and thanks. And thank you, Shane, because here's the outline. Help, no, she says help, thanks, and wow. Our outline is help, one exclamation point. Wow, two exclamation points. And the third point will be thanks, three exclamation points. Just because that's popular to do nowadays. Okay, help. Why do they need help, right? We know the story, but maybe you tune me out as some are want to do. Uh, they're in danger, right? I mean, they've left. The exodus really happened in the Passover, right? They left. They were forced out of Egypt. But in our story, they're sort of stuck. There's the Red Sea. There's Egypt coming out behind them, armed and ready for battle. And they're stuck, and there's a problem. Okay, here's the question. How do you face dangers in your life? How do you face the problems that you're facing in life? What do you do with those? How do you pray? Right? How, how do you examine your and interpret your situation in light of the larger story? The Israelites did a really bad job of this. You would think, man, this is pretty early on in redemptive history, guys. You got there are Joseph's bones are with you. This is not that hard. God's going to deliver you. But they messed up. How'd they mess up? Well, what do they do if you look at verse <clears throat> look at verse 10 in chapter 14? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. That is there for a reason. We know that when you look at something, you lift up your eyes. That is the author's way of saying they became enamored. They became completely transfixed on that army coming up behind them. Fair enough, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be a little nervous? But let's recap, okay? Well, what's going on so far? They had nine plagues, nine different times where God showed them he was the one that was going to deliver them. And each time, they were protected. Uh, some of the plagues never even came near them, but even the ones that did were cleaned up by God, and Moses became more popular and more popular, and then there was this 10th plague, right? Last week, the Passover, 
where they had a sheep or a lamb on their table, they ate. But when they left, they went into the neighbor's houses to plunder the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were like, take whatever you want. And they, were, they would inevitably, indefinitely, what's the word? Somebody help me out now. Okay. Inevitably, Sam, Sam Shiley did it for the recording, Sam Shiley. Inevitably, they would see the dead child or the dead male. And they would know God is protecting us. He has rescued us. But here they are, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, and they are afraid. Now, there's more going on. They're, they're in bondage to fear. They've been in captivity. They've been in slavery. I think that's just in their DNA. Um, but what do they have now that they're out there? That all was in the past. Now Egypt is coming forward. What can they see their hope in now? The pillar, right? We lived, we left Oklahoma, and one of the number one reasons we wanted to come back, we wanted to be with you guys. No doubt about it. But one of the number one reasons, Melissa, another shout out, the storms. And I remember longing to see thunderheads. And we have the greatest thunderhead clouds on the planet, right? Most of the time they're very scary. They grow, they're huge, they have these names like mesocyclones and all this cool stuff. And when you see those things, how, how excited do you get? I mean, it's almost like the entire day, it's like, hey, we might get storms today. You're getting excited, right? And Doug doesn't like the storm. But I get excited. Um, even when it's blue sky, you just hope for the storm. Well, they have in front of them a pillar of cloud that I would have to assume is larger than the 10-mile-high thunderheads we get here in Oklahoma, right? Huge and powerful. And at nighttime, it's, it's fire lit up like we see at nighttime with our storms, or better. But still, the Egyptians are afraid. And we, we are like them. They, they gazed at the enemy. They saw the, the Israelites are afraid. They saw the Egyptians, and they were afraid. We are like the Israelites, and we get afraid. And the first thing that reminds us is in our cry for help, are you seeing yourself as tied to the story? That's our theme, the story. And then this word help. Look at their cry to help. They don't just say, Lord, we trust you. We see the pillar in front of us. We trust that somehow you'll rescue us. We have no idea how. We don't know exactly what they say to God. They just cry out. But in verse 11, what they say to Moses is sarcasm. It's beautiful. I mean, this is like 21st century Seinfeld sarcasm. Is it because there are no... Was Seinfeld even in the 21st century? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Zinger. I mean, if I'm Moses, I'm going to be like really angry at them. And so that's, they're, they're revealing what? They are so afraid they have not bought into the story and they're just yelling help for whatever will rescue them. And what was it they actually wanted to rescue them? The Egyptians. They said, we would have been better off serving the Egyptians. We would have been better off with foreign gods. We would have been better off being idolaters in another country. Because by, the, by serving, he didn't, they don't just mean being in slavery. There's more going on there. Like We would have been fine just being their subjects, being, uh, doing what they will, serving their gods, being Egyptian, essentially, and coming out here and dying. They don't get the story. Have you ever not gotten the story? Have you ever seen a movie where there's a storyline and then a character doesn't quite see the storyline. 
because I've got two in my head. I'm going to choose one right now. I've done it before. That's why I'm avoiding it, but it works. But in Braveheart, sorry, guys, I like Braveheart. Robert of Bruce, is that how you say it? Robert D. Bruce or Robert of Bruce? Clearly didn't get the storyline of William Wallace. And there's that scene where he's chosen the wrong side. He's got that metal, that metal mask. And when, when William Wallace is laying on the battlefield and it becomes revealed that Robert was the one that did it, it, had, it was he that was the, uh, the traitor at that point, just that look on Mel Gibson's face. And what the next scene is Robert the Bruce going to his father and just looking at him and saying, I will never be on the wrong side again. And you just feel this passion. And I think that's what I hope that the kids of Israel are saying. They, they're standing here yelling for help, but they'll go with Yahweh or they'll go with the Egyptians. They just don't want to die. And I think that's how we live out our Christian life a lot of times. We're Christians. We want to go to heaven. But we're so disconnected from the story that we just want anything that will come to our aid, that will come to our rescue, even things that aren't good for us. We just want out, and we cry for help. Are we crying for help to Jesus? Are we coming to him saying, we want to be part of your story, or are you just turning to anything that would rescue you? That's the question as we move into our next point. Because what happens is uh, our point number two. Does anyone remember point number two? We had help. Oh, that's three. Thank you. We're having a little who's on first moment. Wow is the next point. Thank you, Mary Jane. Wow. They cry out, you know, do, are there not, not enough graves? You know, they don't really um, pray what I would consider a very godly prayer. But God comes into the center of the story. And I think the wow, to grasp, to understand what's going to happen if we explain this point, are you coming back to the place where God is now at the center of the story again? When you cry out for help, is that what you're asking for? What do they do? The first thing that we see when they cry out to Moses in their sarcasm is Moses, I think, grew up, he's 80, so he really grew up, but he, this is like the most amazing, I think, comment from Moses. He doesn't have to go to God and say, God, here's what they're saying, give me some words here. He just immediately says, according to the way it's written, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you, not I think, or possibly soon, but today. Moses knew what was happening. There was enough information that Moses knew God's going to deliver you guys. Have you not seen what's going on? Have you not seen the story? So the first phase of wow is hearing that God is going to deliver you. God is taking care of you. He is at the center of the story. And that is a picture of repentance. The, the idea of re-entering belief. They are clearly unbelieving. The Israelites are clearly slaves to fear. And we ourselves, guys, if we're honest, are fearful. We are afraid. Right? I won't point anybody out, but I think I saw someone checking their bank account. We're afraid. I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm sorry. I do that. We, we look at our phones to see if people like me. Am I still solvent financially? Is the weather going to overtake me? We are constantly afraid of what's going on, even in our advanced technology. And so what we are called to do is repent and believe. Right? God is, 
has you. He's controlling everything, and he loves you, and he's pursuing you, and he has you in his hands. And that's what the Israelites failed to believe right there. But next was seeing. What does he do? How does God begin to show it? I love this verse 19. We didn't talk about chapter 13, the pillars of cloud and fire, where they first came up in 13. But here in 14, we see this again, this pillar. We've already talked about it. This pillar goes from being in front of them. So there's the Red Sea. There's this pillar of fire leading them somewhere. It's Yahweh. There's the Egyptians. And the pillar moves between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Totally saying, I'm God. I'm protecting you. I'm coming between you and the enemy. And they see that. Right? But listen to the way the Lord responds to to the crying out in verse 15. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Isn't that kind of a... Do you understand where they're standing? They're at the edge of the sea. And God's saying, go forward. And I think that's a picture of, wow, sanctification. I mean, just like, I've got you. Go forward. I'm going to take care of you. And it's very similar to Peter having to get out of the boat and trust that he could walk on water. They did not know how it was going to happen, but God was going to provide. And he tells them to go forward. What, is, what happens, of course, is Moses sends the waters to both sides, right? And they walk through on dry ground. And all they do is simply walk one foot in front of the other. That is what obedience is. So much of Christianity, I think, has harmed the church, because we want to convince each other that obedience is doing things you can't do. We're trying to convince people, oftentimes the church is trying to convince people, Christianity is trying to convince people, your job is to save yourself. Your job is to become a super Christian, to be the one that saves yourself and rescues yourself. And that's not there. That's not in Scripture. Sanctification here is clearly simply walking straight. That's all you had to do. And the waters are going to be divided for you and you're obeying. And you're being delivered. And it's, wow. God came through yet again. And they cross over and the waters come crushing down and they look back and the enemy is completely annihilated. Is that morbid? It feels morbid because we don't like that. But you have to understand, God knew that as long as Egypt was there in a threat, and it seems clear Pharaoh was going to come after them, they would never trust God. And so my question for us this morning is, as Christians, we have been rescued from death to life. The pillar has completely come around in the form of the Holy Spirit. He has come into our hearts, right? Uniting us to Jesus. Adopting us. We are completely new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. The enemy's annihilated, right? At this point, Satan has absolutely no effect on us, but we give him chains. We listen to our flesh. We listen to the darkness around us. When all the while God has shown us, wow, through Jesus we have been saved. Is that your story? Is that what you're longing for? Is that what you're resting in? And then we get to our third point. We've had help. Wow, and finally, yay. I'm not going to yell it. Yay is chapter 15, the Song of Moses. When I first started looking at this passage, I just thought I would neatly skip over 
chapter 15, because I'm uncomfortable with songs in the Bible. They don't have the same rhythm that our modern songs have. Even in choosing what words to put in our call to worship, I was like, I'm going to put out some of those darker ones. You know, I'll just kind of keep it a little bit more PG. Um, but look, at, if you have your Bibles open in verse 19 of chapter 15, it says, For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Verse 20, Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Tambourine. Who wants to do that next week, by the way? Anyone want to? Okay, we've got one volunteer for the tambourine. That would be a really good thing to see. We might need a woman to do it, though, Doug. Just to keep it on the scripture. So we have Moses singing, Miriam, his sister, playing the tambourine, and they're thanking God for what he's done. Now, how good are you and I at being thankful? I think it's Jerry Bridges' book, uh, Respectable Sins, where he really talks about thankfulness. Where I remember being totally, to me, that's just such a silly thing to you know, work on. Have you ever thought that way? Oh, be thankful. You know? And then he, he makes the point, if you're not thankful, then you're not actually, let me put it in the positive. Thankfulness is a direct result of repentance. Thankfulness is a direct result of grasping the largeness of grace. Why am I not thankful so often? Think about it in daily life. Have you ever had something happen to you, but you didn't want to say thank you? Why do children struggle to say thank you? It's because when you say thank you, it implies I needed this. I was desperate, and you came to my rescue. We much prefer things like, it was my birthday. In our culture, you give presents on birthdays, so you gave me a present. Now it's my turn to respond by saying thank you. We like to keep it sort of, sort of civil and easy. What we really don't know how to do is be like, is to act like Moses here with Miriam and go, we were dead. We were done. I was up against the water in the biggest army known to man, and my time was numbered. I mean, my days were numbered. It was coming down. I already envisioned what they were going to do to me, and you rescued me. And they're thankful. And so when we come into worship, Doug and I have talked about this before. We actually want you to sing. We want to become a singing congregation. Are you willing to join us in that? Raise your hand if you're willing to become a singing congregation. Come on, who's not raising their hand? Raise your hand. Now raise your hand if you're just joking. We need to sing. It, uh, C.S. Lewis writes about this. It's called the effective nature. Sometimes you go, I don't feel like singing. Well, that's why we do it. Like the military, when they have the cadence, you know, not in the military, I'm going to ruin it. I don't want to look at my military people. But you get in line and you say the chance to get everybody moving forward. That's what the Psalms do. The Psalms are written so that the congregation doesn't already feel that way. They come together and they might feel all these other emotions. But it's the singing in unison with the words that makes your heart go, yes, that's how I should feel. That's what I believe. That's what I want. And the question that Moses is asking us is, are we saying yay are we thankful? Are we thankful? And then what are we thankful for? Do we believe, and this is the point of, the, of this entire thing, that we are part of this story, that we have been grafted in, that we are now not just looking back <clears throat> in time, 
saying, wow, what a neat story. That would be cool someday. But that this moment in life, we are at the forefront of history. Jesus, the story is still going on. We're going to talk about where we're going in a moment. But that we have been grafted in. Is that your story? And are you excited about that? If that is not your story, I would urge you to make that your story. To turn to Jesus even today. And say, I want that to be my story. You don't have to tarry until you're better. Don't work it up. Don't try to improve yourself first. Well, I'll I'll clean up my act a little while. I do that all the time. I started doing CrossFit a few months ago, and it was I waited so long because I thought I've got to get in shape to do CrossFit. Has anyone ever thought that? I'm like, if I don't if I don't exercise for a couple months before CrossFit, I'm going to die. And then it finally occurred to me that's why you join the gym. That's what we do spiritually. Oh, I need to go to Jesus. But first, I'll, I'll learn from Scripture. I'll listen to Caleb. You know, I'll quit doing that. I'll try to stop this. Then I'll join the church. And then, and I'm saying don't wait. It starts with Jesus. It starts on the front end. Just fall in his arms. Maybe this morning, maybe it's the Lord's Supper. Maybe it's a prayer. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to Shane. Talk to one of the elders. Anyone, if you don't know that if this is not your story, make it your story. Jesus wants you in his story. For those of us that are Christians, I would draw our attention to Hebrews 11 and just remind us that Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith. Where the writer says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then he starts going through all the characters of the Old Testament, right? Abel, and and goes through Abraham, and Moses, and others. And he's basically saying each each of these figures, real people, had faith in a grand story. And they had faith that they were part of it. And they never got to see it. And none of them saw Christ. You and I have. We get to look back and know that Christ is there, but do we have faith that the story is continuing? And where is the story going? In Revelation chapter 1, John tells us, to him who loves us and has... No, let me back up, excuse me. John has... John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Is that your story? John is looking into the future and he's saying, Jesus is saying, I have rescued you, I have redeemed you, I have made you kings and priests to God. What if you lived even one day where that was something you thought about? Just what if tomorrow you actually woke up and you thought, I'm going to spend some time in Scripture 
to believe that. I'm going to say, Jesus, I don't believe that, repenting. My tendency is to look at all the things around me and sarcastically cry out for help, but I need rescue. So now I'm going to say, wow, I'm going to look at the gospel and I'm going to believe that I am clothed in Christ. I'm going to believe that I'm actually a king, a priest to God. And I'm going to say yay and rejoice. Not that my day is going to go perfectly because it's not, I'm not trying to live my story. That's so American. I'm trying to fit into the story of redemption, the story of the Lamb. And if that means to live, and that's for Christ, and if that means to die, then that is gain. But I am giving everything for that story. Let's, let's, let's begin that today, tomorrow, and every day to live out this story and follow Christ as though it is true. Because it is true. Do you believe it?